Well, last week I was at a workshop with a financial advisor, and he invited us to stop and think of all the places we go into, whether it's a restaurant or stores, other places of business, if we've noticed anything about the age of the people that serve us in that service industry. And we know that, that, yes, there's a lot of younger people, but we also notice that there seems to be more and more older persons, people beyond retirement age, who seem to be holding jobs like that. Now, some people like to work, and uh, so some people do so by choice, and, and that's great. Keeps them active socially, and they appreciate being productive. Nothing wrong with that at all, but the reality is that many people are working those jobs because they simply need it to make ends meet, that their retirement funds have not been adequate to help them in this time of their life. With that in mind, let me give some statistics to you that should give pause to all ages today. I won't read every one of them, but there's some pretty important ones here. Currently, only 25% of the U.S. population have employee-provided pensions. The world's changing. Companies don't take care of you like they used to. One in three Americans have saved nothing for their retirement. And more than half Americans have less than $10,000 saved for their retirement. And women are especially vulnerable. 27% are more likely to have no retirement savings. And because of the income disparities between men and women, whereas the best advice is men need to have 10% put away, from their income annually, women need 18% just to have the same financial level in retirement. The number of seniors that are declaring bankruptcy have grown to 7% in our country now. And nearly one-third of homeowners of retiring age still have mortgage debt. Employees miss out every year on average, $1,336 in retirement matching each year. That's money the company would give you if you would match that yourself. They simply are not doing so, and so they forfeit that potential money that will be there down the road. And millennials, because of the phenomenon of student debt loans, loans with that kind of debt, will on average have $325,000 less in retirement savings than their debt-free Years. And, and one more, only 25% of qualified Americans are aware of the Savers Credit. If you make $50,000 or less, you can receive a $2,000 credit on your tax, not an exemption, a credit, and $4,000 for a married couple if you file jointly towards your tax liability if you make a voluntary contribution to your 401k of that same amount. People just aren't doing that. Only 25% are doing that. So all that's to say that we really could use some financial education, both practical education and also spiritual education. So my approach today, which it has been the last several years, is not to focus today on the church's need for money, but to focus on our spiritual need to be generous. It's a part of our faith. And, and if you read your Bibles, you can't help notice that. If you take your Bible seriously, you realize that you can't talk about the kingdom of God without talking about money. You find generosity is listed as one of the spiritual gifts in the 12th chapter of Romans. You'll hear the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, 
And then the next verse, he says that God loves a cheerful giver. Did you know there's 2,300 verses in the Bible on money, wealth, and possessions? 15% of Jesus' preaching is about money. 11 of his 39 parables are about money. So please hear what I'm sharing today. is just trying to be helpful from a spiritual perspective. So this year we're taking a little different take. Our campaign has been focused on these words, earn, save, give. It's a series put together by James Parnish. And the, it's based upon a sermon that John Wesley preached titled The Use of Money. It was a sermon he preached on many occasions. He probably had it memorized. He gave it so often. And fortunately, it's written down for us, and so we find the wisdom in it that is simply this. Take note. It's really deep. Earn all you can. Save all you can. Give all you can. Now I can sit down and we're done for the day, right? If only it were that easy. So let's break it down a little bit for us. Wesley shares those words, earn or gain all you can, because in his day, which isn't much different than today, some people think money is evil. Poets and philosophers see it as the source of evil. And Wesley's point was it's not the fault of money, it's those who use it which fits very well with the biblical witness. You read in the book of Timothy, it says not that money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. Wesley had this famous quote that you might have heard before. Would you read it with me? And, and if you would, you can draw your best British accent if you want to make it sound like John Wesley would have sounded. But join with me. In the hands of God's children, Money is food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, raiment for the naked. It gives to the traveler and the stranger where to lay his head. By it we may supply the place of a husband to the widow, of a father to the fatherless. We may be a defense for the oppressed, a means of health to the sick, of ease to them that are in pain. It may be as eyes to the blind, as feet to the lame, yea, a lifter up from the gates of death. See, Wesley, money was a gift, not something we should shrink from. And so we need to talk about it. We need to be educated about it. We need to be spiritually aware of it. He did have a few qualifiers, though. He suggested that we should not do anything. We should not have any job that's unhealthy for our bodies. When you think about Wesley's words, you can consider the sacrifice we sometimes make in our work life. Imagine, like myself, sometimes you've been guilty of working too much, taking away from your relationships. We fail to put those appropriate boundaries between work and home. I've had many conversations of people that were, have spent so much of their life climbing the organizational ladder and now have regretted it because what they've lost in the meantime. We should celebrate companies who provide benefits to their employees, promote physical health, and encourage volunteerism in the community and offers family-friendly time off. We need to work together as a nation to find the best and most economical way to provide basic health care to as many persons as possible. I find it frustrating so many times when I'm counseling with people who have goals in their life where they feel a calling in their life but they can't pursue it at that moment in their lives because they can't get a job that provides for health care. So we need to find a way to deal with that. 
Wesley's second qualifier on this aspect was that we should not hold a job that injures our minds. He's suggesting that the pursuit of any trade that's against the law of God or against the law of the land or violates our conscience is something we should avoid. He challenges us not to sell anything or practice any trade that brings harm. And then he closes by suggesting we should have a strong work ethic. He says, do nothing by halves, which I guess is the English way of saying don't do something halfway. Leave things better than you found them. Give your all in all that you do. And then earn all you can, save all you can. See, Wesley sees money as a precious gift, not to be wasted on trivialities. And I think it's important for you to know that Wesley knew what it meant to be poor as well as to be rich. He knew what he was talking about. He grew up in a family with nine children. They were on the edge of poverty continuously. His father worked as an Anglican priest in one of England's lowest paying parishes. With nine children's support, they seemed to be always in debt, and he actually watched his father be marched off to debtor's prison at one point in their life until he eventually got bailed out. Wesley also became an Anglican priest, but he took a little different turn in his career. He became a teacher at Oxford University, elected a fellow in the Lincoln College, which provided a financial status that, that dramatically changed his position in life. He was making about 30 pounds a year, which was more than enough for a single man to live off of. And he even records that he enjoyed his relative prosperity by spending his money on playing cards, tobacco, and brandy, at least in his young years. But you may not realize that John Wesley was one of the wealthiest men at one point in his career in the country of England, at least for those who were earning their income. His earnings came from the sale of tracts, which were very popular in that day. So his writings produced a significant amount of income. As a matter of fact, at the peak of his career, in one year, he brought home 1,400 pounds, which is the equivalent of over $2 million in today's U.S. economy. Over $2 million. And yet we'll see that he was still a great steward of those funds. What changed his perspective, what moved him from spending his money on brandy and tobacco and playing cards, was one time he was in his apartment and the chambermaid came by and he noticed she had this thin linen cloth over her in the cold of winter. So he reached into his pocket to give her some funds to go and buy a coat. And he realized that because he had just spent it on pictures in his apartment, he did not have enough money to help her. He's quoted as saying, I asked myself, will thy master say, well done, good and faithful steward. Thou hast adorned thy walls with the money which might have screened this poor creature from the cold. James Harnish lifts up in his book of the same title a parable that Jesus tells that, that falls along with what John Wesley's trying to say about saving. It's about the, the man who was a rich man already. And then because he had such an abundant crop, he ordered his storage barns be torn down and larger ones built. And then God comes along and calls his number. And all that wealth gets passed on 
to someone else. You'll notice some things about that story. First, you notice the man was already rich. He didn't need to get richer. Second, you notice that this conversation with himself was in his own head. It doesn't record him talking to anyone else, consulting with anyone, or even speaking to God. And then third, notice how often he uses the first-person pronoun ten different times. This is how the story goes. He says, I have no place to store my harvest. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. And what's God's response? You fool. This very night, your life is being demanded of you. The problem with his saving was he, he forgot that his wealth comes also from those who harvest the grain out of the field or from the workers who build the barns where he can store it or the fact that all this comes from God. Instead, he relied on himself and what should have been a great blessing to many people became a very, very sad story. Harnish invites us consider living under the 10-10-80 rule. If you've listened to Dave Ramsey, he would make the same claim. 10% of our income should go to God. 10% then to pay ourselves for our future. And then 80%, we live off the rest joyfully, trusting in God. Now that might sound impossible if you're new to the faith. And this has not been a practice you've understood. I suggest you just make it a goal. You start with 1% giving to God, 1% saving. Grow it to 2% the next year and 3% the following year until you get to where you should be. And I know you may think I'm, I'm being self-serving here, but let me tell you, I don't care where you give that 10%. I believe very strongly in the ministry we have here at Noblesville First. But we live in a country where the average American gives only 2.6% to charity, all charities, 2.6%. Imagine a world where everyone gave 10% to something, anything. So as much as I believe in what we do here, I would be grateful if you gave 10% to any cause that you really believe in because it will make a difference in our world. And here's the thing. I know many of you want to do that. You want to clothe the naked. You want to feed the hungry. You want to make a difference in people's lives. The trouble is our spending is so undisciplined. We haven't saved what we need to make that possible. Earn all you can. Save all you can. It matters. John Wesley knows what he's talking about. And finally, give all you can. For John Wesley, the first two principles is building up so we can achieve the last one. We earn all we can, we save all we can, so that we can give all we can. Because what a great blessing it is to us and humanity and to the kingdom of God. And what is so cool about this is John Wesley lived what he preached. It's recorded because he was a keeper of records. John Wesley recorded in 1731, he began to limit his expenses so that he would have more money to give to the poor. He records one year his income was 30 pounds, his living expenses was 28, so he gave away two pounds. The next year, he doubled his income. He made 60 pounds. 
He still managed to live on just 28. He gave away 32 pounds. The third year, he made 90 pounds. And again, he lived off 28 pounds and gave away 62 pounds to the poor. And that continued even the year that it, his greatest year of income, when he made over 1,400 pounds, the income that equates to over $2 million, he lived on 30 pounds and gave almost 1,400 pounds away to the poor. And he invested that well in ways that help people lift themselves out of their poverty. I would suggest to you that if you not learn how to be a giver, then you've not fully experienced the fruits of the Christian life. I think, and I would agree with John Wesley, that your salvation is not complete unless you've mastered the spirit of generosity. Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer, said three conversions are necessary in the Christian life, the conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. And look at our story that Pastor Aaron read about Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus was that wee little man who was up in the tree? You need to know he was up in that tree not just because he was short and wanted to get a better view of Jesus. He was up in that tree because he was a tax collector, which meant he was hated by his fellow Jewish people. And he was up there because if he got into the crowd, somebody just might take a stab at him. He was up there for his own safety. But Jesus called him out of that tree and said, Today I will eat in your house. And that act of acceptance by Jesus, even though he was a sinner and hated and despised, changed and transformed his heart. And then he says, he declares, I will give one half of all that I own to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, I will give four times the amount. And then what does Jesus say? Today, salvation has come to this house. Today, salvation has come to this house. And then he says, he too is a child of Abraham. His generosity, the transformation of not just his heart and mind and purse, completed the transformation that needed to take place and restored him not only to God, but to his fellow people who would now be a son of Abraham. So earn all you can, save all you can, Give all you can. It's tremendous wisdom. It's challenging words, but there's grace in that that allows each one of us to figure out what that means in our place, in our time. I hope that you never experience any guilt from me in any message I give or whenever I ask for money for a project or even when you're filling out your estimate of giving card. Generosity is a blessing, and it's fun when you've got the freedom to give. What is most important is not how much we give. That second scripture we read today is about that poor widow, the coin that she put in that trumpet-shaped offering jar at the temple meant almost nothing in the machinery of the temple ministry. But Jesus noticed it and honored it and declared it as greater than everyone else who's given out of their spare change. I would suggest that God will honor your generosity no matter how much it is. 
It's how much of you it represents in your journey towards generosity. So earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the honor and privilege of participating in the building of your kingdom here on earth. And we know to do so means very practical means to make that happen. Because for some, salvation doesn't even begin until they've been fed, until they've been clothed, until they're given as their needs arise. Help us to respond and be a part of that process. We thank you for your generosity to us. Amen.